for those of you who are kind of new around us, we've been uh, in a series since September uh, based around a letter written by Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding area, unsurprisingly called Ephesians. Uh, what we've done is what we do whenever we do uh, a different series looking at the book, book of the Bible is we tend to have a title to it just to allow us something to kind of hook everything else from. And with this uh, series, what we're doing is we're hanging it off a title that we've called Crafted. And obviously Crafted isn't just a buzzword that's in at the moment, but rather expresses something. And for us, what we felt is it expressed something of what the letter is and how Paul's written it, but also what the letter contains. And in it, Crafted, what it expresses is that sense of being lovingly made for purpose. And what we felt is, as we looked at this letter of Paul, written to the church in Ephesus, there was a deep sense of love that it had been written by, or written with, but with, it, with a sense of it not only be created out of love, but also with this deep sense of purpose of what Paul was trying to get his readers to get hold of. And in it, what he's trying to get everyone who reads it to get hold of is a much bigger and greater story. And that is that God has lovingly made every single one of us and created us out of his love for purpose. And maybe this morning you've come and you've never been around before. Maybe this morning you've come and you're on a journey to discover something of who God is. If nothing else you live with, please leave with this, is that God loves you and his longing for you is that you would leave understanding something more with an appetite to discover more of his love for you. Because as you understand more of his love for you, you'll understand that he has a great purpose for you here on earth now. And I guess as a company of people, we're discovering that more in and more out kind of as we go along the journey. And through that, what we've discovered, and if you're around last uh, Sunday, as we heard different people share their stories, something of what's happened is we've begun to realize is that actually God's purpose isn't just revealed when life goes how we thought it would. But actually, even God's able to use those moments where life doesn't seem to go as he would plan or we would plan. And bad stuff happens to actually be moments where we're able to reveal something of his love. And what we've come to realize is some of that purpose is revealed through something Paul writes in Ephesians 2, where he says actually that every single one of us has been uniquely placed where we've been placed in order that we would be involved in revealing good things that God has predestined for us before the creation of the world to be able to reveal. And that we came to hear last week, some of the good things that God can reveal, even in dark backgrounds. And I know for those of us uh, who are regulars here, you'll know that one of the stories that we talked about last Sunday is a story that is ongoing. Uh, and so Gus, uh, who's part of the team here, kind of shared how his wife, Janie, was uh, diagnosed just before, just around Christmas, uh, with bowel cancer. And you'll know that um, she had an operation Thursday just gone. Uh, to actually remove that cancer. And uh, amazingly, uh, it was an exceptional operation. The surgeons are very, very confident they've removed all traces of the cancer. And Jane's now in hospital recovering. And for me, when you hear that news, you think this isn't how it's meant to be. And yet God can even turn these moments where it's, it isn't how it's meant to be to moments where he can turn it to be moments that he can still use people to reveal his goodness. And so part of the text exchanges that Gus and I have been uh, on over the last few days since the operation, we do talk as well, but we found within all the phone conversations he needs to do, I think the best way I can serve him with him sometimes being able to just say, it's like this on a text and not feel he has to explain anything. Um, but he uh, kind of texted me, I think it was yesterday, just sharing how on the ward that Jane's in, they've already got to pray for the other three women uh, that are on the ward 
for comfort and hope. And as I read that text, I just thought, actually, God, even in these moments where we think this isn't how we'd want it to be, God, you can still use us in those moments uh, to reveal something of the goodness that you're about. And I know for Gus and Janie, that's something of the story that they're wanting to share. And so in this series, we're already starting to see it shape us. But this morning, I want us to continue looking at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 to 22. And in that, what we're going to discover is that Paul's not only interested in how we've been crafted as individuals, but also in respect to the fact that as individuals who put their faith and trust in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, it also crafts us together with everyone else who puts their faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That we're not called to follow Jesus as lone rangers, We're not called into this individualistic model within the individualistic society we live in. There's kind of this different narrative that comes out that actually we're crafted not only to God, but also to each other. And what we're going to discover is that through these verses, Paul paints something of what it looks like to be crafted together. And my hope is that by the end of this morning, we're going to get to a point where we celebrate communion. And I'll explain that when we get there. But within it, we're I hope we're going to discover something of the comfort, the purpose, and the privilege of what it looks like as we're crafted together. And so with all that in mind, let's actually look at the Bible, as that is a good place where we should start. Um, So I'm going to start in verse 13, because verse 13 kind of sets the the kind of contents of a word that's there in verse 19, which is consequently. So Paul writes this, verse 13, chapter 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul's writing saying, actually, the whole of humanity, whatever your background, he's writing into a culture that was split uh, in terms of two types of people, Jews, the Old Testament people of God, and everyone else, the Gentiles. And Paul's saying, actually, it doesn't matter what your background is. And if you want to hear more about that, go online and listen to a talk all about that. I don't want to get into that today. But actually, he's saying, it doesn't matter what your background is. In 21st century England, we can have loads of different cultural backgrounds. Paul says, actually, we all approach God in the same way. And that's through our need of Jesus, life, death, resurrection. And that's the only way in to God through Jesus. And he says, well, there's some impacts and kind of things that happen out of that way through Jesus. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul, through these verses, wants us to get hold of the fact that our lives in putting our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection haven't only been transformed individually in how we relate to God, but actually corporately together with every single person throughout the whole of history in how we relate together. That Paul wants us to get hold of the fact that we are now crafted together as a company of people through our faith in Jesus. And that is true universally of everyone throughout history and within the future who put their faith and trust in Jesus. But it's then also expressed locally through any gathering of people that's called the church, like us here. And if it has relevance for us here in us understanding why we do this, 
And I think at the beginning of a new year, it is good to remember why we are church together. And what we're going to look at isn't unique to Oasis, it's unique to every expression of local church everywhere. That Paul kind of gives these snapshots. We're going to look at three different snapshots that he gives. I'm saying this is what it's like. He's not saying this is what it is. He's saying this is what it's like to try and get hold of an image of something we can get hold of to understand this is what we talk about when we talk of church. Church isn't like a club or society. It isn't a kind of group who've got a membership card to something. It's rather something much, much deeper, as we're going to see about this. It's about three things that he's going to look at at this instant. It could be looked at in many different ways, but he talks about a home, a kingdom, and then lastly, we'll look at a temple. And he uses these three images of a home, a kingdom, and a temple. Say, oh, this is what it looks like when you're crafted together by God through your faith in Jesus. And if we can get a hold of this, it transforms everything of what we're trying to be together. It then transforms anyone's understanding of what they see when they come into contact with us. We're also going to find out that this isn't a defined uh, element. It isn't that it's reached its destination. It's rather that it's continuously growing, looking to add others in to this amazing image. We'll start off with home. If I was to say to you, I don't know, maybe you found yourself in a position where you have not got a home at this point in time. You've got nowhere to live. And you come and speak to me and say, Adrian, is there any way I could come and stay at your house? And at that point, I just say, yeah, of course you can. You can come and stay with the rest of my family. For those of you who don't know me, I've got a wife called Lucy, got three kids, Emily, Sam, Rebecca. And I say, right, you can come and live in our home. And when you come and you come around and you come to live, I say, hey, what we've done is we've given you your own room. You're like, phew, I'm glad I've got my own room. I didn't want to share with you the kids because it felt inappropriate. And I definitely don't want to share with you because that is violently inappropriate. So I'm glad I've got my own room. And then we said, actually, what I want you to know, whilst you're living here, is not only have you got your own room, you've got access to everything in the house. Watch whatever you want, play with the games consoles as much as you want to, use as much electricity you want, eat as much food as you want, eat with us, use our meals. Also, here are our bank cards. Feel free to use them as much as you want to. You'll find they have a limit, and it isn't a massive one, but you're able to access all of the funds that we've got. Oh, yeah, there's a few other things we wanted you to know. We've also changed our mortgage deeds. And what we've put is we've added you to our mortgage deed. So we want you to know that actually at some point this house is going to be yours. And also, we wondered if you'd like to actually have our name. Whilst you're living with us, you can also have our name. You can be called a Hearst just like us. And we want you to know that we're always for you. We're always for you and we've got your back. Anything that happens to you happens to us. And we're a force to be reckoned with, I promise you that. At that point, one of two things is going to happen. One is you're either going to be totally freaked out and think, that is just nuts, I'm out of here, you're, this is as much cultish as I want to be. The other is you're going to think, this is too good to be true. And Paul wants us to get hold of, through my weak illustration, that actually what we get through Jesus is too good to be true. But Paul writes and says, we are now members of his, that's God's household. That we're crafted, not individually, that crafted together to be part of God's household. Not any old household, God's household. And he wants us to understand that. It is unique, it transforms how we are as an individual, but it transforms how we see one another. See, there can be a danger and say, oh yeah, we're now in God's household. In other words, God's got like loads of blocks of flats. 
like a whole housing estate of flats. And in it, he kind of gets the block of flats and says, oh, you can have flat one. You're at flat 107. And we kind of think, oh, yeah, we still get to relate to God. We're all basic in a block of flats, but we get to relate to God because we're all in his blocks of flats. No, no, we're all in his household. We all have equal status. We're all in the same place. And as such, it drastically changes everything for us as individuals, but also does change everything for us together. See, it means collectively together and individuals, it transforms how we relate to God. See, what Paul's talking about here in terms of a household is a family. It's a family home. It's not saying this is some sort of institution. It's not some sort of care home. This is a family home. It's a home where there is a father, where there's a great older brother, where there's a spirit causing the reality of that home to be worked out. It's a home that's always existed before time and will always exist. It's a home that's always been inhabited by God, who is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Paul writes and says, oh, now you get to relate into that home. Relate with that deep sense of intimacy that you now have the father as your father, the son as your older brother, the spirit working in you. And as such, it's not only transforming how we relate, it transforms how we belong. As we belong to this home, not in a temporary sense, not in a, oh man, if I do something wrong, I'm going to be kicked out. But rather that we're always exclusively now in this household. Forever belonging here. And with that, it means that we get to live with a great degree of safety. Safety of understanding that actually the very value system of this household is love. Love that is unconditional. Love that means that actually we've always got one who's continuously for us, continuously out for our best, continuously accepting us. It also means that it's not only safety, it's also one that's being provided for. That we have a father who's longing to provide us everything we ever need. So much so when Jesus is on the earth, he kind of says, actually, don't worry about today, all the troubles he's got in store for you. He says, Actually, definitely don't bring forward stuff. Don't worry about tomorrow. Like today's going to have enough stuff, but you don't need to worry about it. Why? Because you've got a father who's out to give you everything you need. Not everything you want, everything you need. So we get part of this household of a father who's lovingly looking out for us, wanting our best, seeking to provide for us. But he's also seeking to protect us. Like the best household to be part of. Like a definite kind of mafia in the right sense, if there could ever be. Household, you know, you mess with me, you mess with my family. Paul writes it, it says in Romans 8, he says, what's this like? If God is for us, who can be against us? Message kind of version, which obviously isn't an accurate translation, it's just an interpretation of some of it. But how it expresses is so beautiful. It says, if God's on our side, how can we not lose? No. How can we not win? That would be better, wouldn't it? How can we, lose? How can we not lose when we're losing? You're all like accepting, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That doesn't sound good. They, they, that was like properly on, you know, on purpose that moment, just to show, don't take everything I say as truth. Question everything, because sometimes it's rubbish, because it's me and sometimes I drivel. But the reality is this, that if God is on our side, we're going to win. That God has got our backs. We are protected. And Paul says, this is what it looks like. You are now crafted through your faith in Jesus into God's household. Not just individually, together. 
That when you look around, you're not kind of with strangers, you're actually with a bunch of people, whether you know them or not, who are also part of this household, which transforms who we are together. It means we're not like some disconnect bunch of people who think, I know, let's hang out on a Sunday morning. We're actually a bunch of people that are seeking to say, how can we cause the home that we know through God to be known with one another? It transforms how we relate to one another. It means we relate to one another as family. That what happens to you happens to me because I care about you and I love you. We don't, and this can be one of those Christian talks. If you've been around church for a while, they do this. They say, or I've done this in the past. They do that. I do this. That you say, oh yeah, we're all family, but you know, some are like that odd distant cousin. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say we're family and some of the people who we find it harder to get with is because they're our distant, weird cousin. No, no, no. And I know often I'm referred to everyone as their distant, weird cousin. You know, Adrian, distant, weird cousin. No, no, it's not that. Actually, this family is we have the same father. Therefore, the only way we can relate is as brothers and sisters, which means that we are very close in relationship. And that we have to then work that through and say, do you know what? I'm going to work harder sometimes to love someone here because I recognize who they are. They are my brother and they're my sister. So it changes how we relate. It changes that sense of belonging. We're not like some disparate bunch of people thinking, well, I'm kind of here, I'm kind of not. No, we've crafted in. It doesn't mean we can't ever leave this bit because it's a universal setting, but this is a local expression of what we universally know. That actually we get to belong here, not in a kind of flaky sense, but a sense of family. That when we gather in, maybe we only come once here. Maybe we come every week. There's that sense of, do you know what? This is family for me, and I belong here. It's not just that we belong. It's also that we get to understand that this is safe. We get to reveal that household of God's. But actually, we understand that it's safe because in this place, people accept us for who we are. In this place, we're loved unconditionally. In this place, we've got people who've got our backs. Why? Because we share the family values. And that's what the family values are. We've got a bunch of people who are for us, loving us, accepting us. Even in our frailty, even in our weaknesses. In order that we live transparently, saying, this is who I am. Warts and all my ugliness and my beauty. And we know what we get here is it's safe to do that. It's also that we understand that we've got a bunch of people who are going to provide for us. There are moments we're in need, moments we're in plenty. We have a bunch of people say, hey, we're not alone in this. We're together. I love Oasis. And I think sometimes, can you ever big up the place you're part of? And I think, well, I found with my kids, if I don't big them up, who else is going to? And so I think with Oasis... If I don't big it up, who else will? I love Oasis. Why? Because Oasis is genuinely a place where it's good to have a crisis. It's also good to have normal stuff happen. But it's good to have a crisis. Why? Because we're never scared of it. And people within Oasis are never scared of crisis moments. What it does is it kind of causes the best. At that squeeze moment, you get to see what's there is love. I love that. I love it when I'm talking to people and you share news and you think, this is news that I didn't think everyone was going to kind of take that well. And the immediate response is, what can I do? Why is it, what can I do? Well, it's because they suddenly realize that this isn't just about something for them. It's something for us. It's about the fact that we're family together. For some of us, it's the family of what can I, the provision is just literally being here. I think this is one of the things I've learned along the way is that sometimes we think, oh, it's about me adding in. It's about me doing something. 
For some of us, the biggest thing we can add in is ourselves. For some people, you just know that life is hard at the moment. Life can just feel really dark, and it takes everything in yourself to just be somewhere. You think, actually, everything in me just wants to be alone. I don't want anyone with me. And it's in those moments that we realize the quality of family is just us being there at something in order that others can then stand with us in the place we're in or sometimes sit down with us in the place that we are. So there's that provision. Then it's protection. It's just knowing a bunch of people who've got your back. Of knowing actually there's these people that regardless of what happens, regardless of the good things and the bad things that I do, I've got a bunch of people who are going to protect me. That's what family is. And Paul writes and says, oh, this is what you are. It's what you are through all believers through all time, but it's also what you are locally expressed, that we get to be home together. This coming year, I want to encourage us. Let's not settle for what we've got. Let's get fuller and fuller pictures of the home that we have, that God is seeking to make, that we then get to be together in order that we can reveal it to others. Because I promise you, as we live crafted, understanding that we're home, it brings comfort. For some of this year, this year, we're just thinking, man, I just want comfort. We're all right with that. It isn't that you need to think, I want to come and be part of this. What do I need to come and do? I say, well, just come and be comforted. That's the point of home. But for many of us, we've been here for some time. And I say, come on, let's, let's keep not resting in where we've got to. Let's rest in where God wants to take us in being home. So first image, snapshot, home. I've got to quickly race through the next two images. Second image is kingdom. Paul writes this, fellow citizens. In this, he was talking into a context uh, where citizenship was just in everyone's mind. They were in the glory days of the Roman Empire, in which if you were a citizen of Rome, it meant everything. It meant that you had rights and responsibilities. Now, the thing is, within our culture, we can tend to not think about citizenship. To be honest, we're forever in a right way trying to break down the barriers that citizenship in a wrong way can bring in order that we can include more people in all the wealth that we've got. Not making a political comment there, just saying that's a good thing. However, we can then miss what Paul's pointing to in terms of citizenship. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of going to some individuals becoming British citizens. But it is an unbelievable privilege. I got the privilege of going to some friends of mine who became British citizens about five years ago. We went, and you, it was in Birmingham. We went to City Hall, which is really beautiful anyway. Went there. The Lord Mayor was there and kind of does this whole ceremony of welcoming people into uh, the United Kingdom and make it saying, you are now declared British citizenships. And they have to say something. I can't remember what they said. Uh, and then something is said over them. And it's phenomenal. And I looked around the room. There's probably 80, 90 people becoming British citizens in that moment. And you could see in every single face this sense of joy and excitement about becoming a British citizen. And to be honest, I sat there feeling incredibly guilty. But I looked around and thought, I've been a British citizen from day one of being born. And I didn't think it was that big a deal, to be honest. I spent most of my time apologizing for the fact. <laughs> and then for these guys, there was just this great degree of excitement and joy of being these British citizens, of taking on the rights of being a British citizen. And then saying, well, we've got these responsibilities of being a British citizen. And then it kind of culminates at the very end, having been given their scroll or certificate that says you're now a British citizen, of them being brought forward, and they then can have their photo taken with the mayor 
and then a photo of the Queen. It was just the best thing ever. But people went forward and had their photo taken with a photo of the Queen and the Mayor, and they were just beaming, like, this is amazing. In actual fact, at one point, complete strangers understood that, obviously I was giving off the vibe, I'd always been a British citizen, and they asked if I would be in their photo with them. So there's a photo somewhere randomly of some people I'm never going to see again, of the mayor, a photo of the Queen, and Adrian Hurst. I thought, well, obviously it was a big day for them, and it will forever be that with me in there. But I left there thinking, do you know what? I need to not take for granted everything we get in this nation. That was the first thing. The second thing is it caused me to understand something of what Paul talks about as citizenship. Because when Paul writes about citizenship, he's not talking about some sense of citizenship in Rome. He's not saying, remember the rights and responsibilities you have in Rome. He's not also saying about something of some commonality uh, or generality in terms of the whole of humanity. Remember your citizenship, your citizens of earth, with the whole of people. You know, he's he's pointing to something else. Something he points to in Colossians, something he points to in Philippians. I think actually you're now citizens of heaven, of the kingdom. You're citizens of a kingdom where God is the rule and reigner. Rule and reigner. Sorry, I sometimes have to work out what have I just said. Do I agree with that? I do. Is the rule and the reigner. That in that, what he's then pointing to is saying, actually, anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus is now part of that kingdom because we've all then said, we want God for you to be the ruler of our life. We want you to be the one who's reigning over our life. But also, not only is it for me as an individual, we then get to be part of your kingdom, which is revealed through your rule and reign. And it then causes us to live as it does with anyone who gains that sense of citizenship, with a sense of rights and responsibilities. Those rights of what it looks like to be part of his kingdom. Now, in this, I can sometimes feel like, man, Oasis at some point is going to get sick of me talking about this. But I don't apologize for it because I want us to get hold of it. Because when you look at the end of the Bible, you get to this book called Revelation, which isn't there to kind of make you think, oh, that was wacko. It's rather there to make you think, this brings hope. So you get to the end, Revelation 21, 22. And what's being revealed there is this word picture by John, by trying to take on everything he's seeing of what it will ultimately look like when God's rule and reign is worked out. So if you want to understand what it is that you're a citizen of now, you have to read the end of the book because it allows you to understand, I am citizen of there now, which will come on to some of the responsibilities of it in a moment. But it means that we understand that, yes, we're those who have a king who is Jesus, who's out for our liberation, not seeking to dominate us. He's seeking to liberate us with his love, seeking us to live lives of freedom in his love but also is a concrete place. It's a place of substance where we find in Revelation 20, 20, 21, 22, where there's no more pain, suffering, injustice, illness, a place where there's comfort, a place where there's beauty, a place where there's hope, a place where God dwells and we can see him as we see one another, a place of unity. You find that snapshot of what it looks like when God gets everything it's meant to be. It's also a concrete place. It's like literally we're told it's a renewed earth. 
It's the earth fully under God's rule and reign. It's not like some cloud city from Star Wars that we're going to. It's like a concrete place, but way better than we've ever seen. You find that people like C.S. Lewis try to get hold of what it looks like. So you get to the last book of the, the Lion, the Witch, uh, the Wardrobe, kind of this Narnia series. The last battle, and it gets that point of him describing something of that world that is to be. And he says, oh, there's colors that we've never experienced before. Dimensions that we never knew. Because he's saying, actually, what's to come is far fuller than anything we've ever seen in this place. Because that's what it looks like when God's kingdom, his rule and reign fully come. And that's what we're now citizens of. We're citizens of hope. Therefore, from that right of what we're now part of, that then starts to characterize our lives now that we can live in light of, saying, actually, I want to know your comfort now, God. I want to know you coming and breaking in and bringing healing. I want to know your justice I want to know your peace. I want to know what it is to live in unity. We get to know that right, but we also get that responsibility of being those who then get to reveal and live in our citizenship in that kingdom. Which means as individuals and as a company of people, we say, actually, what we live for is at the very center of our lives is Jesus the King. I tend to imagine my life as a, as a massive circle And in the circle is everything that makes up my life. The good, the bad, the indifferent, everything is in there. And at the very center of that circle is a throne. And on that throne is what governs everything else. And what I'm trying to do daily, moment by moment, is ensuring that Jesus is on the throne. Because I can tell you what, within life, other stuff starts to come and join him. Sometimes I allow other stuff to push him off. It might be worry. It might be money. It might be illness. It might be my things that are good. It might be my family. It might be aspirations of what I want to do for him. I have to keep coming back moment by moment and saying, is Jesus the king still on the throne? That's what it means to be a citizen. We continuously come back and say, is he still there? But it's not only that, it's also that we get to reveal it. Reveal that kingdom that is to come. Of all of its beauty, of its justice, its peace, its hope, its comfort, its unity. That we get to reveal that now on earth. Jesus taught us this simple prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That can seem passive and say, okay, come and do it. Come and do it. And Jesus says, I am through you because you're my citizens on earth. You get to reveal this kingdom that is to come now. What a privilege. What a responsibility. That collectively together, I want us to see, the church isn't just a family household. The church becomes an embassy. Becomes like an embassy. So if you go to the American embassy in London, you'll find that it's as good as America as you can get. You go in there and it's like you're on American soil as soon as you enter through the gates. To be honest, none of us apart from American citizens would ever get through the gates. And the same would be true for any other embassy. And what's going to be true for us locally here as a church is that actually we're like an outpost of that kingdom that is to come now. The people should come in and think, this just seems different. What's going on here seems different when I'm around this bunch of people. Not in terms of you all sit facing a screen singing songs. No, in how we relate, in what we do, in what we're living for. People come in and say, what's going on here? Because it becomes an embassy. Because what we find is in this citizenship is we find purpose. Our purpose is to reveal this kingdom to come, which brings us to the last snap image, that of a temple. Now, in it, we could spend quite a long time looking at this one, to be honest, because there's obviously a lot of text there, a lot of theology. Um, I want to just really take hold of it just briefly. 
Because I think there's something unique that Paul wants us to get hold of. If we get hold of, it transforms who we are when we come together. So Paul writes this, verse 20, 22. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, the temple in the Old Testament to the people of God then was this unique structure, a physical structure that was beautiful, but also was a sign. It was a signpost of both a responsibility and power of the the nation, but also as a signpost that God was with them as a nation. Because God had said that he was going to give a building not to limit himself in, but to reveal himself through. And say in that building, he would cause his presence to dwell in order that all people would know that actually he's with this people. Not so they would selfishly say, how good are we? But rather say, how good is God? And would you come and join us in understanding who he is? That's the point. What Paul then says is, but what about a temple for this new bunch of people? This new bunch of people that are actually on equal footing, whatever cultural background, whatever area of the world they're living in. What does it look like for them then to have a temple? He says, well, it looks fundamentally different. He says the temple then for them is not in a geographical setting. It's not a physical structure. It then revolutionizes thought. For us, we can read this 21st century and think, well, whatever. For the readers at this point, this is like fundamentally amazing. You know, every religious group had like a spiritual home, had a physical temple or a shrine to a deity. And Paul says, oh, oh the shrine, the temple here, oh, it's not a building, not a physical structure. It is a building, but not like you've known it. It's fundamentally different. Because it's made up of people, not bricks. It's also also got its foundation. It's a foundation that actually is a revelation of who God is through Jesus. It's been revealed to men and women to to then found everything from. So we find the New Testament is a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done. The biggest story of what God's been about since the very birth of everything through to the completion of everything. It says, oh, from that basis, you've then got Jesus who becomes like a cornerstone. Literally, a stone that is seeking to ensure the building is built correctly. Who's then building and pulling in every individual in order they would know they're a stone that builds this building. And so it isn't that we're just people. We've become stones, living stones that become part of a structure that then become together something universally throughout all time, that reveal something of the beauty of God, as the temple did, but also reveal a place where actually God himself dwells. And so universally throughout all time, that's who we are as a bunch of believers becoming. And we're told that it actually isn't going to be in completion until Revelation 21, where suddenly the voice from the throne says, oh, now the dwelling of God is with people. It's done. Finished. Temple finished. So we've got still some buildings to do, still some stones to be built in. But it's also an expression of what we are together as a company of people, that we are a temple together. In other words, whenever we gather together, God's presence will be here. Why? Because that's what he promised. He dwells in his temple, which is his people. Therefore, there's never a sense of whenever you gather with a bunch of believers thinking, I wonder if God's going to turn up. I don't know even where that phrase comes from. God promised he's always going to be there. If there's ever an expectation, is God coming, then you've missed the boat. 
He's been there the whole time. It's whether you've noticed him. See, whenever we gather together, we should expect this is a unique moment of God's presence dwelling here. Why? Because he always promised it, it would. Therefore, it means that whenever people come in to us, whether they know Jesus or don't know Jesus, they generally say to me, it just felt different. That's how they do it. They say, it just felt different. I felt like I wanted to cry. I felt, it felt kind of safe. I felt this warmth. I felt kind of scared. Had that a few times. I felt scared. I, I felt like, should I be here? What's going on there? Because in that moment, what's happening is they're suddenly realizing this isn't just a bunch of people in a room. This is a temple where God dwells. And I tell you what, when we start to grasp that we're a temple of God, where his presence dwells, it causes us to live with a deep sense of privilege. Privilege that we're not just any old bunch of people. We're a place that reveals who God is by his presence being here. Which brings us to this point, we are crafted together. We're crafted together through these images that Paul uses to help us understand what that looks like. We get to know that we're a home. We get to know that there's this kingdom we're part of. We get to know that we're now here as a temple. But it causes us to firstly understand that we're invited to be part of it. Maybe some of us here are saying, well, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. Well, for you, the invitation is always open. You can be part of this. That's the invitation. For many of us, though, we'd say, actually, I am a follower of Jesus. For us, we need to remember and receive continuously what it means to be crafted together. We are those that have been crafted. In order that together we form home, reveal kingdom, and understand God's presence as a temple together. Let's continuously remember we're not just any old bunch of people. There's something quite unique about us which brings comfort, comfort, purpose and privilege and in it as we get hold of that let's keep receiving it and being it as i said where i want us to finish off with is actually communion what i want to do that is because communion is one of those moments which it reminds us both our thankfulness to jesus for his life death and resurrection but it also reminds us not only of our thankfulness to jesus it reminds us of our sense of but actually jesus you've then caused me to be added to something which is your body which is your church here now as it's something that we don't just take privately it's something we take together and so what i want us to do now is there's a couple of stations at the back i wonder if we could just go and grab some bread uh, and some juice and then bring it back to our seats in it just to apologize ahead of time we couldn't get any or i couldn't get any um uh kind of allergy free bread so the stuff for gluten-free. I apologize in advance. That's not out of a, a lack of love for you, genuine sense of a lack of shops having any at this point in time. And for you, what I'd say is, please don't therefore think I'm not included. Still take the juice and imagine the bread. I think we can do that. For others of us, maybe we're not a follower of Jesus and we think, well, this is meaningless. For you, I'd say, at this moment, don't take the bread and juice. Just say, well, God, would you reveal yourself? But for the rest of us, grab some bread and juice, bring it to your chair, and then we'll take it together.
hopefully everyone's got juice and bread as they wanted. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10. I want to do is just take this in two ways. We're going to firstly take the juice, uh, then we're going to take the bread. Uh, so first he writes this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks our participation in the blood of Christ? As we drink this cup, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I thank you for the gift of yourself, which allows me to enjoy the life that I get to enjoy. So should we drink and just do that? And then Paul continues in terms of the bread. He says this, And it's not the bread that we break, our participation in the body of Christ, because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body. We all share the one loaf. And in it, what it means is that actually, as we're taking hold of that bread, we're saying, we thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for me. I thank you for your body resurrected, which offers me life. But I also thank you for the fact that now, in me taking this bread, I'm not alone. I'm actually together with this bunch of people. And I'd actually encourage you, it always freaks everyone out. But I genuinely say, when we take this bread, we're thanking Jesus for his gift. We're thanking Jesus for each other. And I'd look around and I'd say, Jesus, thank you for placing me with people like this. And that, even that can be a stretch. And you think, really? No, really. So should we do that? Go. Can I just pray for us, and then we're going to end, and then I'd say, why don't we actually enjoy something of what we've been talking about this morning, because the point of community isn't that we just sit and listen to someone, it's actually we talk to one another and get to know one another, so we'll do that. So can I just pray for us, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes. Jesus, I thank you that your work on earth, on the cross, your resurrection, and your continuing work now is continuously there to transform our lives. It's transforming our lives as individuals, but also it's to transform our lives together. That we aren't just individually related to you. We are now a new humanity. We're now a new people who reveal something of what it looks like to be yours. And I pray, God, would you cause us to live this year as a church, as a family, as citizens, as a temple, revealing and living in the wonder of what we are together, of the comfort of the purpose and the privilege it brings. And I pray, God, as we live this way, I pray that it would be attractive to others, that we'd see many others added in, not for our glory, for yours, Jesus. Because we don't want to be exclusive, God. We want to continuously be inclusive like you are. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.